Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Peace, the United Methodist community. We are so excited that you are with us. My name is Jason Steffenhagen. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are uh, we're thrilled that uh, to see many new faces and some returning faces. Um, I know that a couple of people here are um, new from the Beloved, which closed um, at the end of the year. And so welcome um, your pastor, uh, Katie. Uh, I got a chance to meet her on a retreat uh, a little while back and just a wonderful leader, a wonderful pastor. And I just appreciated so much the way that she was tending and caring for for that community as it was getting ready to close. And so welcome. We're so happy that you are joining us. So our Sacred story reading, our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. And if you're like, whoa, Deuteronomy, that's way back. Yes, it is. It's in the Old Testament. This is one of the most foundational passages of the entire Bible. This is one that would have been taught earliest to uh, young Israelites as they were trying to understand their faith. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In essence, always have these words on mind. Always be aware of them. They should be ever-present. We are launching into a series that I'm calling How We Grow. And so for this week, next week, and then we're going to take a week off from the series because I'm going to be just getting back from being out of town. And Reverend Linda this morning has agreed to pinch hit for me uh, on the 22nd. And then I'll conclude this series on the 29th. Um, so we're doing a three-part series called How We Grow. And we're looking at spiritual formation. And I'm going to be really honest up front. I'm going to be a little nerdy. And I know that that's not new to some of you, um, I, but this was like what I spent my time writing a dissertation on. So when I say nerdy, I'm like really nerdy about this. Like I love doing, you know, classroom uh, lectures on this thing. So I'm going to kind of turn this into a little bit of a classroom lecture at times with some fun stories mixed in because who wants a boring professor, right? Where my kids are at right now, is this really interesting developmental stage. They're both at different stages of their development. I have a 13-year-old and a seven-year-old. The 13-year-old thinks he knows everything. The seven-year-old is asking way too many questions. The 13-year-old doesn't ask any questions, right? But the seven-year-old asks all the questions. The seven-year-old is learning how to read. He's in first grade, and every day it seems like more and more words are making sense for him, and he's sounding them out better, and he's reading to us at night, and Grandpa comes over, and he wants to read to Grandpa, and he just reads, 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 and he's so excited about it, especially when he reads a book that he hasn't read before. He comes, and he gives us a hug, and he's like, I did it, I did it, and it's like, oh, we're watching his brain literally seemingly expand in real time, and it's so fun to watch. And my 13-year-old, as some of you know, uh, is on a basketball team at 7th and 8th grade, in-house, Irondale team, Proud to say that we are now 6-0 and after defeating the second place team yesterday. Felt really good about that. We were up 22-7 to at halftime. I was too proud. Uh, they came back. We were, they were within five, but then we pulled away in the end, so I'm still really proud. But anyway, I'm so happy for my guys. They're playing really hard. Here's the thing about the 13-year-olds. They have kind of multiple paths they could take. 
The two most likely paths are one, arrogance, right? 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds think they know everything. So they don't want to listen. They just think they're awesome all the time. It's called TikTok, right? So that's one route to go. The other route, and this is what I keep trying to help them do, is learn. I want them to keep learning because when they came to this team, they were very raw as basketball players, and they still are. They still don't know everything. They're still learning the game of basketball. But early on, they just started absorbing everything I would say. Here's how you play defense. Here's how you help out. Here's how you set a pick. Here's how you pivot. Here's how we make a good pass. Here's how you make a bad pass. Don't do that. Here's how we shoot the ball fundamentally. Okay, you can't do that. Just chuck it at the rim. Hope it goes in. Whatever it takes to make a basket, let's do it. But they were working so hard, and it's been so fun to watch their development and growth. Why? Because they're bought in, and they're learning every practice, every game. They're willing to learn something new. The moment they don't is usually the moment we start to lose because they think that they already have it figured out, they have it all together, and they just kind of coast, and then suddenly the other team starts to come back. Suddenly the practice isn't as dynamic, and suddenly we're not headed in the right direction. Learning, learning, learning is the key to playing good basketball, and as you can imagine, it's the key to living a healthy spiritual life. You see what I did there? That was really dorky. Okay, so part one. I'm calling it building your container. And the reason why this is in quotes is because I'm pulling this from Richard Rohr from his book, Falling Upward. Falling Upward is a book that Richard Rohr wrote. It's a really beautiful book. Uh, it's a book about uh, how there's two halves of life. The first half of life is building the container for who you are and how you see the world. The second half of life is realizing is that there really isn't a container and we're all just kind of fumbling through it. I remember when uh, I was uh, a kid, I thought my parents knew everything. I thought they had answers for everything. And then when I became a parent, I realized my parents were making it all up. They had no idea what they were doing. Why? Because I have no idea what I'm doing. We're just trying our best. My parenting philosophy, my wife and I agreed upon this a long time ago when we adopted our son, is try your best, pay for therapy. Like that's, that's what we're doing. Um, and so we're giving it our all and then we'll see what we need to do around the edges or all the time. So but the first part of life, the first stage that we're going to talk about, this part one, is building your container. Now, some of us have built really great containers, containers that we love operating in, we feel safe in, there's a sense of security, there's a sense of understanding, we feel solid in this thing that we've created, whether it's the life we've created, the relationships we have, or the faith that we've decided upon. We have built a really beautiful container. Others of you hear this idea of building a container, I have no idea what in the world he's actually talking about. Cool, just hold that question because we're going to unpack it today. So here's a couple of verses. We just read this one, and then I'm going to give you another one, because the Bible encourages spiritual formation. Sometimes we think that the Bible is this book where it's just got a list of rules and regulations and ways of doing things and doctrines, and that all we have to do is just agree to the whole thing, and then we're good. The Bible is not that. There is some of that in there, but that is not what the Bible is. The Bible isn't just a list of rules and laws and expectations that we just have to agree to and then we're fine. Instead, how I understand the Bible and how I'm putting it out there for you, which you can disagree if you want, that is completely fine, is that the Bible is actually this encouragement to grow in what it means to be human. It's this understanding that this is, this is who we have been, this is who we are, and this is where we are headed. 
and that God has an intention for humanity that is moving it towards love and justice and mercy and grace and forgiveness, that that's what it means to be human is that we move towards those ideas, those values, those concepts that truly make us one, that truly make us dynamic community. And so here in Deuteronomy, verses 7 and 9 that we just got done reading, we can see this early stage of building a container for the children of Israel. Like there are some expectations, there are some values, there are some laws, there are some ideas that God wants people to know. And God wants them to know them so much that it's not just good enough to talk about, but you should have them as a sign on your door. They should be on your doorpost. They should be fixed to your hand and on your forehead. Basically, you should go everywhere with these and not forget these ever because they're so fundamental to this faith. This is my favorite verse in the whole Bible, and this is the J.B. Phillips translation of it. And we just actually sang a part of this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all God's demands or expectations or hopes, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. In this verse, we can see that faith is not just something that we ascribe to or assent to or cognitively agree with, but faith is this interactive relationship that is meant to mature us as people, both individuals and as a community. We are meant to grow. We're meant to mature. Just like a seven-year-old learning how to read, just like a seventh and eighth grade basketball team learning how to play the game of basketball, we are meant to to grow. We're meant to learn. We're meant to change. I love the way that Richard Rohr puts it in his book, Falling Upward. Most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. Like God's love comes second to the change that comes first. Change is first, love is second. In fact, God's love, God loves you so that you can change. What empowers change, what makes you desirous of change, is the experience of love. It is that inherent experience of love that becomes the engine of change. Very early on in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, love God. That's the foundation. Love God. God is love. You are loved by God, and you are called to love God. That love is the foundation for spiritual formation, for maturity, for growth, for any change that is meant to take place. Okay, so now here comes the really dorky part. I'm going to give you today two models of spiritual formation. I'm going to give you a few more in a couple of weeks, but here's the first, here's the first one. This is Richard Rohr doesn't call this disordered development. He didn't, he didn't really have a name for his model, and he's also kind of pulling his model from a few different people. And so I'm giving him some credit because that's where I first learned about this, and then I'm naming it disordered development. I just think that's a catchy title. So this is disordered development. Disordered development is the idea that there is order, that there is something, that there's a container, that there is some foundation of your faith, that you have a sense of order, that, that you have shaped your life around. And then... Sometimes life happens, sometimes there's struggle and pain, sometimes we just watch the news and we realize that there is disorder and things aren't as we thought they were, that the order that we thought doesn't always make sense, that it's not always the way it is, and so we move into a place of disorder. 
And then ideally, we don't get stuck in disorder, which many people can and do, but instead we move into a place called reorder, where we are trying to say, okay, what is it that I actually believe? I believed this, and then all this happened, which made me question everything I thought I knew. Now I got to put something back together. And so that's the disordered development, that there's order, disorder, and then a reorder. Today, we're going to spend some time talking about the order. How do we put this thing together? And many of us have done that. Many of us have spent most of our lives figuring out the order. Some of us have been through tons of disorder. Some of us can say, yeah, my life is a testament to the disorder. And some of us would say, not only is my life a testament to the disorder, but I've actually done a lot of really hard work to put together a reorder, to understand differently what faith can look like. But today we're going to focus on the order. And that leads me to my second developmental model for you. So if you're already, if you're already bored, just get a pillow. Um, feel free. It's okay. I don't mind when people fall asleep when I speak. I, I, was a, I worked in a college setting where students had no sleep and fell asleep in chapel all the time. So you're welcome to do so. This is James Fowler's Stages of Faith. And we're going to just cover a couple of them today. Stage one is the magical stage of faith. It's mostly reserved for two to six-year-olds. It's that little kid stage of faith. And the idea here is that fantasy and reality are both trusted. What do I mean by that? It means that when my kids were really little, I could tell them that Jesus was a real person and that he died for their sins and that Jesus wants a relationship with them. And they would say, cool, that sounds awesome. And then they could watch a movie like Star Wars and they could be like, I better watch out because Darth Vader lives in my basement and he's coming for me. And they thought both were real. Similarly, the tooth fairy, is there anyone under the age of like seven or eight that still really, okay, we won't talk about He's not listening, she says. The tooth fairy is real. <laughs> so, we all know that there are these mythical creatures that we talk about, that these, uh, these, these people in our, our holidays that we celebrate, right? Some that are dressed up with white beards and whatnot. I'm using abstract language to cover the little man here. So we all have these ideas. And for little kids, these are real things that we trust in and hope in and believe in and we have confidence in. And then suddenly when there's not money under the pillow because the tooth fairy didn't show up, we go to the parents and we ask why. And dad says, I forgot to send the email to let the tooth fairy know. I'm so sorry. I'll get on it. I'll send a text instead of an email. So make sure we expedite the situation. And then suddenly by noon, hey, did you check under your pillow when you got home from school? Oh my goodness, there's 50 cents. And then the, and then the kid looks at you and goes, why has the tooth fairy gotten cheaper, right? I'm like, oh, forgot to update the expense account for that, right? So we have these ideas and they feel very real to us. Why? Because we believe everything we're told. We trust it all. I showed my kid Star Wars too early because he was scared to go down to the basement by himself for two years because that's where he thought Darth Vader was coming from. I don't know why he thought that, but he was terrified of the basement for a very long time, annoyingly long time. I needed him to go play in the playroom. The playroom was downstairs. He didn't play in the playroom for two years. What's the point of a playroom that occupies too much space in my house if it's not to be played in? I don't uh, don't show your kids Star Wars too early. Okay, so what else? Is, what's going on then spiritually? What's the spiritual component here? Our first impressions of God are established and can be hard to move past at this time. So for instance, if you were handed a picture of God 
as one who sits up on a throne and is judging the world and is potentially throwing lightning bolts down on the vile, awful, horrible sinners, that's a really very vivid idea of God and can be one that is hard, hard to move past. It's not true. It's not true. But it can be really hard to move past. And the way that we know that this sticks in our brain and, is, and it really solidifies at this stage is that if I asked all of you to close your eyes and imagine what the devil looks like, we would all have a very similar picture. There's a reason why. Because it was handed to us at a very young age, very impressionable, and we've never forgotten it. And here's the second thing, that's never really been challenged. No one's ever challenged that picture for us. No one talks about it. No one wants to confront it because it feels like we're stepping on dangerous territory, that we might be heretical, that we might say something we shouldn't in church. And because we don't challenge it, it stays with us. And so this early part of life, although it seems fun and funny, and I could tell you story after story, and you've lived all those stories, for our faith, this is a really important stage, and one that if we don't go back to and wrestle with and confront at times, we can stay stuck all the way back at this stage. Let's move to the second stage. I call this the literal stage. This is that kind of 6 to 12-ish reigns. Forgive me if you're 12 and you're not in this space and you think you're more mature. That's totally cool. Um, I, I don't know if there's any 12-year-olds in the room, but I can imagine there might be. So here's the key concept. Younger children typically need to have an explanation for everything. Everything has to have a literal explanation for it. There has to be an answer for everything. So, for instance, how did Jesus walk on water? People can't walk on water. Why do you believe that Jesus walked on water? And then you say, ah, and then you do the really wise thing, which is apparent. You say, I don't know. What do you think? Right? And then my imaginative, thoughtful 12-year-old son goes, well, in school the other day, we learned about these like, these like little lizards that could run really fast across the water. So maybe in the Bible, when Jesus walked on water to the boat, he just ran really fast, like faster than Usain Bolt. Like maybe that was like his kind of superhuman Godspeed or something like that. And I'm like, sure, good enough. Like, I don't have a better explanation. I don't have, a, I mean, I can give you a theological one. I could give you a spiritual one, a mythical one, but I can't exactly give you a literal one because we're talking about a human being walking on water. And so if you want to believe that he ran really fast to make sense of that for right now, fine. I'm cool with that. So literal explanations for everything, right? That's how children make sense of things. They want everything to, to have an explanation. And here is where we start to wonder if the Bible story is really true and we need to have reasons for why it is. So we see kids asking really interesting questions. And so if you are working with young kids, if you have young kids, young grandchildren, if you're an aunt or an uncle, if you are working in the schools and kids have these fantastical questions, questions that you yourself don't have an answer to, instead of saying, oh, that's a bad question, Ask them the, the, the healthy parent question of, well, tell me what you think. Tell me how you got there. And instead of shooting it down when they give you an answer like Jesus ran really fast, instead of giving them the 10-minute long theological explanation for it, just say, wow, that's really inventive. I love the creativity of that. Because that's where they're at. They're at a place where they need to come up with a reason. They need to explain it. Now, if they say, you know, 
here's my explanation, but it doesn't really make sense. Is there a better way of understanding this? Now they're open to something a little bit more spiritual or theological. And, and if you still have no idea, you say, you know what, that's a really good question for grandma or grandpa, or that's a really good question for Amanda. Just, you know, go out, come ask her at Encore. You know, that'd be really fun. Um, I'm sure she'll love that one. So if anybody comes to Encore and you want to ask her, why did, how did Jesus walk on water? I would love to see what happens. She's not even in here to know that I've challenged you to do that. So, so when we're six to 12, we have this concept that we can know everything. There's, there's, a, there's a naivete to that, right? It's, it's called the first naivete. The first naivete is that you think you can actually know everything. And eventually, you learn that you can't. So what you end up doing is you look around you, and this is where the external part of faith comes in. You look around you and say, okay, I've tried to rationally, literally know everything or have a response to everything. All my questions need an answer, and I've tried to do that, but I'm coming up short. I'm starting to realize that maybe I can't do that, but there's a lot of people around me that seem to be okay with life. They don't seem to be thrown by all these questions. So what are their responses to that? And so that's when we turn to the, the people around us, the external influences. And so from anywhere from a young age, 9, 10, 11, 12, that early preteen age, all the way up into our 20s, 30s, and beyond, and, and this is honestly, where most people in the world stay is they, they get comfortable in this stage. And so when I say to their 20s and 30s, there's a lot of people that, that appreciate this stage of their faith and want to stay here. And that is completely understandable and is completely okay. But there's a, there's a, this, this stage is where we trust in, when we place our trust in people and institutions to help answer those big questions. So we look around us and we say, what Sunday school teacher, what parent, what grandparent, what teacher at school, what youth leader, um, what church, what organization, what nonprofit, what, what thing am I a part of seems to have answers for life's big questions that I can also hold on to, that I can also maybe agree with at times or, or say, yeah, I like that answer. I'm going to be cool with that one. That, that makes sense to me. And so what we see is we see kids at this age, they start to gravitate towards a peer group, towards a community that tends to have this similar way of thinking. And so when kids get into their kind of preteen, early teen years, we often hear, well, so-and-so told me, right? That's a phrase that we hear quite often. Well, so-and-so said, and there's a complete trust in that external influence. There's not a lot of, well, what, here's what I really think. We don't hear, this is what I think. What we often hear is, well, what, what so-and-so said is this. And that's a beautiful place to be, where you are finding community, you're finding relationship, you're finding these places where you can feel you can grow and thrive and be yourself because you have this common way of understanding things. This is what religion is really good at. Religion is really good at being that external influence for people. People love having the, the solid foundation of their faith, of their religion, creating the container for them. And here's the thing. I say that, and it sounds like I'm saying it as a bad thing. It's not. It's a beautiful thing. I'm a proponent of it. I'm a proponent of it. I ring the bell every Sunday 
as a part of our ritual of what it means to be a part of this community. We sing songs, we say certain prayers, ones that are written down and said every single week because that's a part of who we are as a community, shaping who we are as a community. Now, here's the thing, and I'm just going to give you an advertisement for a couple weeks from now. If that's the total of who we are, then we might need to question it. If that's all that our faith is, is what someone else does for us, then we might need to challenge that thinking a little bit. And I want to push on it a little bit over the next few weeks. But what we do in this space, the people in your life that are around you and are helping shape you, that's healthy and good and normal and what we need in order to create the foundation for our faith and our lives to thrive. And so we have to have that. When we don't have it, we can often feel unmoored and untethered and feel like we don't know which end is up, which end is down. We don't know how we're standing. We don't know if we have a firm foundation. And it can feel off-putting, especially when the challenges of life come our way. Because if you're a part of a dynamic community that has rhythm and ritual and has consistency, when things happen, you know where to turn because it's consistent and it's there for you and you can count on it. And that's beautiful and good. And we need that in our world. We need that in our lives. So here are some questions that I have for you this week just to ponder, to think about. If you want to write these down, go ahead. Um, If somebody wants to shoot me an email and remind me, I can put these in the Tuesday news if you sign up for it. Um, And then that way you can keep thinking about this. But here are some questions that can be helpful as we have explored part one of uh, building your container. What were your first impressions of God? What was handed to you very early on? And for some people, it may be that God didn't exist, that there is no God, that God was judgmental, That God was the, uh, as we've talked about one other time, God was the vending machine where if I said all the right things, did all the right things, showed up enough times that God would give me what I pray for. And so God was the vending machine in the sky. What were your first impressions of God? And with that, what do you need to potentially unlearn? What impressions of who God is Do you maybe need to say, I'm not sure if that's actually who God is. I'm not sure if that's the God that I read about in in Jesus. I'm not sure that's the God that makes sense after all that I've been through. So what may you need to unlearn? Are you okay with some mystery in life? Or do you need to have an explanation for everything? And again, no judgment in that question. If you need an explanation for things, that is perfectly understandable. So many people, depending on what they're going through in life, what season they're in, what experiences they've had happen to them, they need an understanding. They need an explanation. This doesn't make sense with what I've been going through. I can't make sense of it. And if this faith doesn't make sense of this, then this faith doesn't matter to me anymore. So sometimes the explanation is necessary. But there's also maybe some room for mystery. There's some room to not have all the answers all the time. And then here's a fun one. Who's influenced you? Who shaped you? Who handed you some answers to life's big questions? 
You know, some of us had parents who answered all these questions very definitively for us. Some had parents that said, nope, no, I'm, go elsewhere for those. Just, just be a nice person. Like, that's all, that's, that's all we need. So who's influenced you? Who shaped you? What, what person in your life? And sometimes we're shaped by people who it's not healthy. So maybe the influence wasn't the best one. So what has shaped you? What has influenced you? And then maybe think about this institutionally. What has shaped? Not just who, but what? What has shaped your beliefs? What communities have you found yourself being a part of that has shaped how you see the world? And, and, and here's where we can maybe apply this a little bit and, and do some critical thinking around our social media feeds, our news sources, the communities that we're a part of. If we are following certain people on social media, if we are watching the same news uh, broadcast night after night after night, that's an institution that is shaping the way you see the world. That is a social media influencer who's shaping the way you see the world. And so who has influenced you? What has influenced or shaped your beliefs? And then finally, how have you answered the big questions in life? And those big questions are the obvious ones, right? How did we get here? What's it all for? Where is it all going? Right? Those are some of the biggest questions that we ever ask in life. How did we all get here? What's it all for? Where is it all going? How do you make meaning of your life? How do you find your time on this planet purposeful? We have to answer those questions. And we've all answered them at different parts of our life, potentially in different ways. So how have you answered life's big questions? Because how you answer those questions will impact your faith and will show us what your faith looks like and prepare us to continue to grow and move forward. One last quote before we pray and we, uh, we sing a, a closing song. Unless you build your first house well, build the container well. Unless you build your first house well, this foundation, this container, you will never leave it. If you don't have this home to live in, this space that gives you definition, that clarifies values, that clarifies worldview, that clarifies who you are, if you don't have it, you'll always be looking for it. You have to have that first. And to build your house well is, ironically, to be nudged beyond its doors. Once you have that container, you now have something to walk out of. And that's not to say that what you're walking out of is bad, but sometimes we have to be willing to ask hard questions and explore. So that's a little teaser for next week. Let me pray. God of a beautiful foundation, a foundation of love, a foundation of justice, a foundation of presence. We are grateful, grateful that you gave Israel and us this beautiful foundation of love, that this is our home, that this is the space that we get to operate in. May we see that space of love as a place to feel safe, but also as a place that we can then explore from and ask hard questions. God, we're grateful that as humans, we grow not just in our ability to read or our ability to be in relationship, our ability to behave in healthier ways, 
But God, we are grateful that our faith is not just something we can assent to, cognitively agree to, and then put on the shelf for some other day when life gets hard, but instead that faith and spirituality is this dynamic relational thing with God and with one another, within ourselves, that shapes how we move and have being in this world. God, may your spirit infuse us with a spirit of curiosity and a spirit of growth because you are not done with us yet, both as individuals and as a community. May we be people who are learning how to grow. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Um, I don't have many announcements because we don't have any big events like on the books right at the moment, other than next week we do have Encore, uh, which is our youth group. So that's middle school and high school students. It will take place um, at 7 to 8.30 next Sunday night. We are going to also be planning for a family game night. So if you are curious what those are, once a month we try to invite all of our community to come as a family and we have like a little potluck. If it's nice outside uh, during the summer or the fall or the spring, we go outside and do it. If it's winter time and it's you know negative two, then we do it in the fellowship hall and we just invite you to bring a dish to share. So we just kind of potluck it, put out some games, hang out for an hour or two and just enjoy uh, enjoy some time together. And so we're going to plan for one of those towards the end of January, and then we'll get into a regular rhythm of those coming up um, throughout, the sp- throughout the rest of the winter and into uh, the spring. And so be on the lookout for that. If you are curious about where to find out about what happens in this community, please make sure you sign up for our Tuesday emails, which normally go out on Wednesday or Thursday. But we call them Tuesday News because that's what they're called. Right, Cindy? That's what they're called. Yep, they're called Tuesday News on a Wednesday or a Thursday, sometimes on a Friday, Um, typically on a Wednesday. So Tuesday news, go to the website, sign up to get the emails. We'd love to have you on that so we can make sure that's where the best communication comes from, the most consistent communication, especially things like signups. So signups for the good neighbor meal, which takes place usually once or twice a month. Uh, We would love to get more and more volunteers to help with that. We are also going to be starting some spiritual formation activities. Spiritual formation is how we grow in our faith, how we are formed and fashioned, how we uh, continue to evolve as as humans and as spiritual beings. And so we are doing a survey on that. So in the Tuesday news, if you sign up for it, there is a link to the spiritual formation survey so we can kind of get a picture of when people are available, what they're interested in, what they want to learn about and grow on. And then there's a few ideas that we have coming up. So for instance, during the season of Lent, as we head towards Easter, we're going to be doing a series on the I am statements that are made by Jesus in the book of John. And so we're going to be doing a Bible study that will follow those statements after the Sunday service. So if you want to have a deeper conversation on the Sunday theme, you can join us for that, uh, that Bible study that will take place. May the God of the journey be with you on every step of the path. May you trust that the foundation you were handed was handed to you with intention, with love, with care. But may that container, that house, that foundation be one that you are willing to ask questions of, that you are willing to say, where can growth come from next? May we trust and may we hope and may we pray that the Spirit of God is moving us towards true maturity. May you go in grace, may you go in hope, may you go in love, and may you go in peace. We'll see you next week. Mm